Father, we are eager to open your word this morning, and we pray that as we do, that your Holy Spirit would, would help us, that he would help us to understand what we read, and that as we have much ground to cover this morning, that he would help us to keep our minds engaged and to remember that every passage of your word is true. And every passage of your, your word is profitable. And we look forward to seeing glorious things this morning. We, we pray that you would bless us through your word this morning. And that as we see true things, we would delight in them. And we would delight to live in light of them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13. We have a lot of Scripture to read this morning. It all pertains to the same issue, and so it really needs to all be dealt with together. Two, two entire chapters, and, and I, haven't, I haven't verified this, but I believe these are the two longest chapters in Leviticus, but they all need to be dealt together, and so we, we really need to hang on tight this morning. Because we're going to be moving very quickly. But I want to give you the big idea so that you have some framework for, for, for hanging on tight as we work through a lot, of, a lot of Scripture. Here's the big idea in just a few sentences, all right? What do the hole in your roof, the hole in your sock, and the hole in the lining of your stomach all have in common? They all stem from the entrance of sin into the world, and though you may rightly lament them, they should also move you to yearn for the return of Christ, who makes all things new. That's what we want to keep in mind as we're reading these chapters. And it is my view that chapters like these, that when we read them just on their surface, we may be thinking, what on earth? That's what we may be thinking as we read these just on the surface. Chapters like these tend to yield glorious, delicious truths. I believe that's what's going to happen by the end of our time this morning. Now, This whole section, these two chapters, chapter 13 and 14, these carry for, for, for the Israelites instruction for the priests about how to determine if a, if a person, a garment, or a dwelling is diseased. Because if they are, they are unclean and they cannot be in the camp of Israel. Okay, So we're going to stand right now and we're going to read the first section. We're just going to read the first section standing because I don't want people passing out this morning. So we'll read the first section standing, then we'll sit down. I'll tell you when you can sit down. But this first section is all about disease in skin. There's a lot of different cases that we're going to read about as we're standing here. But don't get lost in the weeds, alright? Don't get, don't get lost in all the different cases we're not so interested in the details of each individual case as we are in the big idea. So what's the big idea common to all of these cases? And I would, I would encourage you as we move through this first section, try to put yourself in the shoes of these folks who might have one of these diseases. So Leviticus chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And just so that you know, we will read through verse 46 before we sit down, okay? Beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a, dwell, a, a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. 
And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest. And the priest shall look. And if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. When a man is afflicted afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look, and if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the, the hair white, and there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of, his disease, of the diseased person from head to foot, so far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all of his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It has all turned white, and he is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean, Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. But if the raw flesh recovers and and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And if the disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean. If there is in the skin of one's body a boil, and it heals, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a reddish-white spot, then it shall be shown to the priest." And the priest shall look, and if it appears deeper than the skin and its hair has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease that is broken out in the boil. But if the priest examines it and there is no white hair in it and it is not deeper than the skin but has faded, then the priest shall shut him up seven days. And if it spreads in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, It is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or when the body has a burn on its skin, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a spot, reddish-white or white, the priest shall examine it, and if the hair in the spot has turned white and it appears deeper than the skin, then it is a leprous disease. It is broken out in the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the priest examines it and there is no white hair in the spot and it is no deeper than the skin but is faded, the priest shall shut him up seven days and the priest shall examine him the seventh day. If it is spreading in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread in the skin but has faded, it is a swelling from the burn and the priest shall pronounce him clean for it is the scar of the burn. When a man or woman has a disease on the head or the beard, the priest shall examine the disease, and if it appears deeper than the skin or the hair in it is yellow and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard. And if the priest examines the itching disease and it appears no deeper than the skin and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for seven days, and on the seventh day the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch has not spread and there is no yellow hair, and the itch appears to be no deeper than the skin, then he shall shave himself, but the itch he shall not shave, and the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. And on the seventh day the priest shall examine the itch, and if the itch has not spread in the skin and it appears to be no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him, and if the itch has spread in the skin, the priest need not seek for the yellow hair, he is unclean. But if in his eyes the itch is unchanged and the black hair has grown in it, the itch is healed and he is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. When a man or a woman has spots on the skin of his body, white spots, the priest shall look, and if the spots on the skin of the body are of a dull white, it is leucoderma that has broken out in the skin, he is clean. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead, he is clean. But... If there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish-white diseased area, 
It is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine him, and if the diseased swelling is reddish white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprous disease on the skin of the body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean, his disease is on his head. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear his torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You may be seated. Now let's keep in mind that God has chosen the people of Israel to be His special possession among all the nations. They are His covenant people. He's their God. They're His people. And what we've seen here very broadly is that disease renders one unclean. If unclean, you must go outside the camp. Essentially, it is a living death. You are cut off from the blessings of the covenant people of God, period. The priest's role is to discern the clean from the unclean. The priests are not physicians. They don't do anything to help someone get better. They are more like religious health inspectors. They just declare people clean or unclean. And these verses help them to make that determination. And as we move on, we find that interestingly, these diseases are not confined just to bodies, but they can be found in garments. And so now we're going to continue reading in chapter 13, verse 47. And again, don't get lost in the weeds. We want the big picture. Okay, so chapter 13, verse 47. When there's a case of leprous disease in a garment, whether a woolen or a linen garment, in the warp or woof of linen or wool or in a skin or in anything made of skin, if the disease is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the skin or in the warp or the woof or in any article made of skin, it is a case of leprous disease and it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease and shut up that which has the disease for seven days. Then he shall examine the disease on the seventh day. If the disease has spread in the garment, in the warp or the woof or, the, or in the skin, Whatever be the use of the skin, the disease is a persistent leprous disease. It is unclean, and he shall burn the garment or the warp or the woof, the wool or the linen or any article made of skin that is diseased, for it is a persistent leprous disease. It shall be burned in the fire. And if the priest examines and if the disease has not spread in the garment, in the warp or the woof or in any article made of skin... Then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the disease, and he shall shut it up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine the diseased thing after it has been washed. And if the appearance of the diseased area has not changed, though the the disease has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in the fire, whether the rot is on the back or on the front. But if the priest examines and if the diseased area has faded after it has been washed, He shall tear it out of the garment or the skin or the warp or the woof. Then if it appears again in the garment, in the warp or the woof, or in any article made of skin, it is spreading. You shall burn with fire whatever has the disease. But the garment or the warp or the woof or any article made of skin from which the disease departs when you have washed it, then shall be washed a second time and be clean. This is the law for a case of leprous disease in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or the woof or in any article made of skin to determine whether it is clean or unclean. So here again, the priest's role is to discern the clean from the unclean, but with the garments, what's different is that the unclean thing is destroyed. It's going to be burned The clean thing is going to be washed and and declared ceremonially clean. And the washing of the clothes then may raise the question if something if if an unclean garment can be washed and eventually declared clean again is it possible for a diseased person to eventually be declared clean again well that's the subject matter of chapter 14 verses 1 through 32 and what we're going to see here in the, this coming section 
verses 1 through 32 of chapter 14, is that there are two phases for this. A person who has been unclean to then eventually be declared clean again. There's two phases. One phase takes place outside the camp, and one phase takes place inside the camp. So let's read about the phase outside the camp. This is verses 1 through 9. Chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. And if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. All right, now this, this ritual that takes place outside the camp, this is very similar to something that we're going to see in, in chapter 16 in the Day of Atonement, and we'll look at it in more detail when we get to chapter 16. So I'm not going to take the time to say a ton about it here, but it's likely that both of these birds, the bird that's killed and the bird that is left alive and, and released alive, it's likely that both of these represent this person who is, who is being made clean. And the picture is of, of this, this person who was unclean and, and is becoming clean. The picture is of this person being formerly dead and now is, is coming back to life. It's kind of the picture. He, he was living a, a, the life of a dead person outside the life of God. And now he's being brought to life. He's brought, being brought into the, the people of God. So the, and then there's all this washing and shaving outside the camp. Then verses tw- 10 through 20 prescribe a ritual for inside the camp. So we have the ritual outside the camp. There's also a ritual inside the camp. Now pay attention as we read verses 10 through 20 and see if you recognize any of these offerings that are required to be offered inside the camp. Leviticus 14, beginning in verse 10. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it onto the palm of his own left hand and dip his right finger into the oil that is in his left hand and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus, the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. Just in case you missed it, all four of the main offerings 
that were outlined at the beginning of the book of Leviticus are represented here. The burnt offering or the ascension offering, the peace offering or what what was called the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. All of them. And those last two are peculiar, the sin offering and the guilt offering. Because remember, the guilt offering is used when somebody has wronged someone else, another person, and the sin offering is used when a person has sinned against God. Now, how do those two apply when someone has been diseased? Those are questions that need to be answered. All the stuff with the thumbs and the toes and the earlobes, you may remember that. That is, that is very similar. Actually, it's identical to the, the anointing of the priests back in chapters 7-8. And it's possible that the reason that this is used here is because just like when the priests were being anointed, they were, they were being taken from the realm of the clean into the realm of the holy, an enormous change of status was taking place in the lives of the priests, so also in the life of this person who was formerly unclean outside the people of God, an enormous change of status is taking place in their lives. They're going from the realm of the unclean to the realm of the clean, and so they have also this this anointing-like thing that happens in in the blood and the oil being applied to their earlobes and their thumbs and their, their big toes. It's a big deal them being brought from outside the camp to inside the camp. Now we have just a little bit left to go here. Verses 21 through 22 give an alternate offering for those people who cannot afford those offerings prescribed in verses 10 through 20. So let's read 21 through 32. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for him, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and a log of oil as two turtle, also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. The one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand and he shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is on his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot in the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering along with a grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is being cleansed. This is the law for him in whom is a case of leprous disease who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. All right, now, now in, 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 in our closing of, of our reading here, we find in this final section, verses 53, um, 33 through 53, that this kind of disease, which we found can be in a person, can also be in garments, We find that it can also be found in a home, all right? So that's what we're going to see in verses 33 through 53. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, there seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall come that they empty shall command that they empty the, the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house, with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. If the disease has spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. 
and he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around. And the plaster that they scrape off, they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house, after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber and all the plaster of the house. And he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. And whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes. And whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the priest has not, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the, heal, the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and he shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water, and he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed and in the fresh water and sprinkle the house seven times. Then he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the fresh water and with the live bird and with the cedar wood and the hyssop and scarlet yarn. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. Now, a few more verses. Verses 54 through 57 tie all of these two chapters together. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house or for a swelling or an eruption or a spot to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for a leprous disease. Now, we have read a lot of text, and we don't have much time left, so we still have to hurry, but there's a lot to say, so let's get to it. First thing to know is that disease and decay are emblematic of sin and disease. I'm sorry, sin and death. Disease and decay are emblematic of disease and decay. So the, the, the disease of the body and the decay of the clothing and the walls represent the infection of sin and death. How do we know that? There are a couple of reasons that, that we would say that. First of all, because of the consequences of contracting this disease and decay, which is when somebody gets a, that, this disease or, or their clothing gets the disease or their house begins to decay, the the consequence is separation from the life of God. And the second reason is because of the sacrifices required to officially declare a person clean and bring them back into the covenant community. And the, the, those sacrifices are all the sacrifices prescribed earlier in Leviticus, including the sin offering and the guilt offering. So even though it is not actually sinful, to have a disease, everyone acts as if it is in Israel. So something is being represented here. Something is being acted out in the life of the people. This disease, this decay, represents the results of sin and death in the world. And that should tell us that as with the, the clean and unclean animals in chapter 11, and as with the childbirth law in chapter 12, God is using the issue of disease and decay to picture man's real problem, which is sin and death. You may have noticed in, toward, toward the end of our reading there, in that last section we read that the Lord said, when I bring you into the land of Canaan and I put an issue or a case of leprous disease in a house. So God's saying, I'm going to bring you into the land 
and I may put a disease in your house. Did you notice that? We could talk about that for a while, but it may be the case that God is quite keen to, to put the people of Israel in situations where they are confronted with these pictures of their actual inner problem, which is sin and death. He's putting pictures in front of them all the time to show them that they have an inner problem, which is sin and death. So just as, as man has disease eating away at his body, so also he has sin eating away at him from the inside of his heart. And it, and it, it leads to his separation from God, which is spiritual death. This is the great tragedy of tragedies. Because man was created to live in community with God. This is why that, the picture of, a, of, of the leper living outside the camp, this, this person who is, who is existing in what we might think of as a living death, that's a great picture of, of a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins. They're physically alive, but they are cut off from God. In a very real sense, they are dead. They're cut off from the life of God. So, disease and decay, they're emblematic of sin and death, but, but disease and decay are not merely emblematic of sin and death. Disease and decay ultimately result from sin and death. Disease and decay ultimately result from sin and death. We took some time last week to read from Genesis chapter 3, and you may remember that when the Lord was delivering the consequences to man, we read these words in Genesis 3.19. The Lord said to the man, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what we find in Genesis 3 is that as a result of man's rebellion against God, he returns to the dust that... He from which he was formed. And, and at the end of the chapter, we find God guarding the way to the tree of life, lest the man should eat of it and live forever. In verse 17 of Genesis 3, God said to the man, Cursed is the ground because of you. So because of man's sin, the ground, the earth itself is cursed. And so now the earth most naturally brings forth Thorns and thistles rather than good fruit. Man has to work hard to get the earth to bring forth fruit. It more naturally wants to bring forth thorns and thistles. In the Lord's words to the serpent, in verse 14, the Lord said to the serpent, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. In other words, all of the animal kingdom was cursed as a result of the entrance of sin into the world. Decay, disease, with a trajectory toward physical death, that is what man's sin has wrought upon the physical creation. And it leads Paul to write in Romans 8.22 that the whole creation, all the creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It, it, is, it has been subjected to corruption and futility because of man's sin. And so things, people, animals, trees get sick and houses break down and cars rust. Sin and death touched every part of creation. That's why your roof leaks. It's why your socks wear out. It's why you can't pound enchiladas like you used to. All things decay and die because of sin. But these cleanliness laws, even as they're revealing that, that reality, reminding us of it, these cleanliness laws, they also foreshadow something that the New Testament discusses openly, which is this wonderful thing that the redemptive work of Christ makes all things new. The redemptive work of Christ makes all things new. You, you remember that, that wonderful passage 
that was read for us at the beginning of our time together this morning from Matthew 8. Jesus, Jesus heals the leper, makes him clean. Remember, remember the priests in the, the Old Covenant, they did nothing to make people clean. They just recognized cleanness, recognized uncleanness. They weren't physicians. They didn't help people get better. They just declared them unclean or clean. Jesus does something altogether new in Matthew chapter 8 in that He makes someone clean. Somebody comes to Him eaten up with this skin disease and in an instant Jesus makes Him whole. Now, that event was a historical reality. The the healing of that leper. It actually happened. But it means something bigger than a man going from being a leper to, to being a whole, clean, societally acceptable and embraced man. It means something bigger than that. A statement was being made by Jesus and by God the Father about who Jesus is. He is the conqueror of the sin and death that brought about disease and decay. Jesus came healing diseases as a foretaste of the spiritual life giving that He would accomplish by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. So Jesus goes toward the end of of the book of Matthew, Jesus goes and suffers outside the camp. Remember we have that that ceremony there in Leviticus chapter 14 where part of the ceremony takes place outside the camp. Jesus goes and He suffers outside the camp. He takes takes our sin on Himself, our sin sickness we might say, on Himself. God the Father kills it in Him and then raises Jesus from the dead victorious that Jesus might give life to all who repent and trust in Him. Jesus redeems and brings to life those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. He brings those outside the camp. He brings them inside the camp. But just as disease touched not just persons but things in Leviticus 13 and 14, and just as sin affected not just man but all creation in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus doesn't just redeem souls, but He makes all things new. And, 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 and here's the thing though, we don't see the absolute fullness of all of Christ's work yet. And that's what Paul's writing about in Romans chapter 8. I would invite you to turn there with me, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You know, it would be quite easy for us as, as we experience the disease, the decay, the corruption of this world, to think of Jesus as a partial Savior. Be easy to think that way because there was a, a fullness of the breaking of creation in Genesis chapter 3. Everything's messed up. Not just the soul of man, but the body of man and, and the physical creation. Everything harmed by sin. And now, on this side of the cross, at this point where we are in salvation history, we have redeemed souls, and we're overjoyed by that. We're right to be overjoyed by that. But there's still something wrong, isn't there? there there's still something wrong in that we are still decaying. And we are still diseased. And and we're right to feel a tension there because we are integrated beings. We are embodied spirits. And it's, it's awkward to live a reality that says, it's well with my soul. It's awful with my lower back or, or whatever else. It's, it's not right to say that. We are right to say, praise God, it's well with my soul. When we sing that around here, we sing it, don't we? We sing that. 
But we're right to, to, to recognize there's still something wrong here. But, but listen very carefully. We want to make sure that we're thinking rightly about the wrongness of that. There is something not right about redeemed souls and unredeemed bodies, but the wrongness of this is a matter of timing and not a matter of an insufficient Savior. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We don't have a ton of time to, to tease out a lot of things here, but there, there are some things that are implied just in this one sentence. One is that this present time is associated with sufferings, and it's all kinds of sufferings. We, we could find all kinds of sufferings represented just in the things that, that, Paul, that Paul writes alone, just the things that Paul writes, or we could expand that to do other things in the other New Testament authors. But it seems that Paul believes that, that this present time is characterized by sufferings, but that the future is going to be characterized by something categorically different, glory. Now, what might exactly he mean by that? We'll keep going. Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected. Now, again, that, that should call our minds back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. All creation has been affected by man's sin. God, God caused man's sin to affect not just man, but, but all of creation. And so all creation is, is groaning together. All creation, because of Him who subjected it, continuing toward the end of verse 20, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what, what Paul is looking forward to is a time when not only are believers set free, and not only are believers set free in their spirits, in their souls, set free from slavery to sin, but all the creation will be. All, all set free from bondage to corruption. When might that happen? Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. You see, did you see what he's getting at here? The, the, the creation is groaning for that, for that day when everything is going to be released from its corruption. And he's, he's saying also, we groan too. Because we have well, what he's calling here is the first fruits of the Spirit. Elsewhere in Paul's writings, he, he talks about the, the, the Holy Spirit being given to us as something like a down payment on that wonderful glory. He's given us his down payment, a taste of what it's going to be like in that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, so we know freedom in our souls. Our bodies are still chained to this, this decaying reality, which is this world. And so we, like the, the trees and the rocks and the, the, the rusting cars and everything else, we, we all groan, waiting for that day when, when the fullness of that payment comes in, which is... The, the fullness of glory. And he uses a phrase here that, that should get us all very excited. Our adoption as sons, and in a sense we've already been adopted into the family of God, but what he has in mind here is that next phrase. Our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
which is the absolute completion of who we are as human beings, to where we, we are not just redeemed souls, re redeemed spirits, but redeemed completely, physically, and in every way. So what Paul is, what Paul is putting in front of us here, and, 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 and very openly, is, is that in a sense, as it stands right now, we have an incomplete salvation. Not incomplete in terms of its provision, but incomplete in terms of its application. We are awaiting the redemption of our bodies, as also we are awaiting the redemption of all the rest of, of creation. Now, you want to read about the redemption of our bodies. Great place to go for that. Many of you know 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're not going to go there this morning because we're, we're running out of time, but you might write that down and spend some time soaking in, in 1 Corinthians 15, particularly toward the end of the chapter. But don't just go to the end of the chapter because the first part of the chapter is about the, the resurrection of Christ and why the resurrection of Christ is the reason we're going to have redeemed bodies. But the redemption of our bodies, listen to this, the redemption of our bodies, our having glorified bodies, perfect bodies, living, ever living bodies, not bodies that decay and die, but bodies that live forever, our receiving those, those glorified bodies coincides with a cascading of glorious events all marked by one magnificent event, and that is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is where this whole message is going, okay? This is why we should care about all of this. The Lord Jesus Christ will return with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.16. And then the Scriptures tell us that the saints will rise to meet Him in the air with imperishable, glorified bodies. That is 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4.17. So, so when you hear Jesus' voice in the air, you will not get to Him with the body that you currently have. If you are dead at the time that that, that, that voice sounds, you will get to Him with a body that's completely new. If you're alive when you hear that voice, by the time you get there, your body will be completely changed. So says Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Then the Lord, the Lord returns to the earth with us at His side. The Lord judges the living and the dead. Matthew 25, verses 31 and following. All evildoers, the devil, death, and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20. Verses 11 and following. And then the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem become a reality. By the creative word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it will then be the case that, that He has made all things new. All things new. So here is, is how these things should affect our thinking and living when we are confronted with the disease of our bodies, the decay of the physical world around us. Disease, decay, corruption, death is the norm in this life until Christ returns. It's the norm in this life. Life and freedom from corruption will be the norm in the new Jerusalem. Because of the already not yet reality of what Christ has done on the cross, we can and should expect some temporary reversals of disease, decay, and corruption in this life. Some temporary reversals of Disease, decay, and corruption. That's why we see diseases being healed by God in this life. But they are, they are temporary. These peop people who get healed in this life, they still die. And their hope is not that healing, but their hope is the return of Christ. The complete eradication of death 
and disease, the complete eradication of decay and darkness does not come until the Lord Jesus returns. And that is why the hope of the believer is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope of the believer is eternity with Him in the new heaven and earth where sin and death will be no more. And so, if, if, if you want some action points this morning, I would, I would give you just two or three of them here. First of all, lament your disease and decay. It's appropriate to do that. Lament those things. Hate disease and decay. Be sad about those things. It's an ultimate result of the presence of sin. Another thing, pray for relief from those things. Pray expectantly for them. The New Testament tells us to pray for healing from these things and pray expectantly. But above all, Above all, let Revelation 22.20 be the prayer of your life, and that is this. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. That is our hope. That's our hope. Listen, sin and death have done a number on us, but Jesus has done a number on sin and death. Let us pray. Father, many of us in this room, perhaps all of us in one way or another, feel in various degrees that reality of disease, decay, impending death, either in our own lives or in the lives of friends and loved ones. And Lord, we do pray for healing Pray for your goodness to be expressed in these, these gracious, temporary reprieves. We pray that you would glorify yourself by showing yourself strong in, in physical healing. Pray that you would do that. You would grant us to see those things that we might rejoice and proclaim your greatness. And we do lament the reality of sin and the uh, heartache that it has caused in this world, but we rejoice at the power and greatness of the Savior that you sent, the sufficiency of His work, and we believe, we believe that though we do not see the fullness of its application, we believe that it is coming. And while we feel the weight of physical death weighing on us, we feel sickness, we look forward to the day when Christ returns. He exchanges for us these these perishable bodies for imperishable ones. He scraps this earth for a new earth. Scraps these heavens for a new heaven. And you and He in spirit, you make your home with us forever. We long for that day. We pray that in the meantime, you would grant us strength, patience, and joy as we proclaim your good news to those who desperately need it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.